This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Van Leer Jerusalem series on ideas. Subscribe to the series on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. I'm Renee Garfinkel, your host, and I'm very pleased today to welcome Deborah Court to our microphones to talk about two of her new books, which she wrote with a co-author, uh, one is the Israeli Druze Community in Transition, and the brand new book is Insider Outsider Research and Qualitative Inquiry New Perspectives on Method and Meaning. Professor Deborah Court is on the Faculty of Education at Bar Ilan University and academic consultant to the Arab Academic College in Haifa. She researches educational cultures specializing in religious education multiculturalism, and qualitative research methodologies. Professor Randa Kerr Abbas, who cannot be with us today, the co-author, is the head of the Arab Academic College in Haifa. Her research centers on Druze identity, the cultural, religious, and family structure of the Druze community, and the changes in them as modernization sweeps the community. Deborah Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Renee. I'm very happy to be here, and I'm sorry that Randa won't be with us. Um, both of these books are very much communal efforts. We are we are partners in the research that um, that both of these books present in different ways. Well, I hope she'll be feeling better soon. Thank you. Uh, e- each of you uh, brought very different backgrounds and expertises to this project. Let's begin by talking about how those differences impacted your work. Well, in fact, those differences um, propelled our work. Uh, it, it's the differences between us are are what make us such um, such wonderful research partners. And um, I don't know if you if you had a chance to read the introduction to the second book on insider outsider research, but there um, we talk about how we met, and this is more than twenty years ago now. I was um, teaching in the in Barilan, uh, and I was um, teaching a, a master's class in qualitative research. Uh, late at night, everyone is tired. Everyone wants to go home. They've been teaching all day, and I see in this huge class of about forty students this one particular woman with this light in her eyes, who is hanging on every word and who asks intelligent questions. And at the end of the class, I asked her if she would stay behind. 
And um, she, she told me later that she thought, oh, no, what have I done? Why do I have to stay behind? And I asked her if she was uh, on the thesis track. And she said, no, I'm a teacher. I'm just doing a non-thesis. And I said, no, you're supposed to be a researcher. And we're going to go and change you into the master's track. And we did that. And, and then she went on to become the first Druze woman to get a PhD from the Bar Ilan's uh, Faculty of Education. And um, already in her master's study, she was doing what she loves to do, which is try to understand better her own community and present it to the world. She did that in her master's thesis and then in her PhD thesis. And then from that point, we became, first of all, very good friends and research partners. And um, the first book on, on the Druze community is based on a, a research grant we got uh, from, from the Ministry of Education, who put out a call for, for researchers to research the, what, they called, what they called the generation gap in the Druze community. Uh, and and we, we see it a little differently, as you've seen in the book, that it's not so much a gap as, as a bridge between the two generations. So maybe I'm answering too much to one question, but that's sort of the background of how we work together. Well, your choice of subjects, the two of you choosing the subjects, couldn't be more timely because we live in this age of identity politics and, and people do have complex, multiple identities. Uh, what did you set out to examine? I, I'm particularly interested in the three levels of identity that you looked at. Okay, so we, we, first of all, when we did the big research, which involved a lot of people, 60 people um, of sort of parental or, or almost grandparental age, and 60 younger people in their late teens and 20s, the, the, the Ministry of Education wanted to know what, what kind of gap is there in the identity, in the beliefs, in the goals and aspirations of these two groups of Druze people in such a changing time when the Druze are being propelled into the modern world, kind of like it or not? Um, we, we'd, I, think, I would say that we discovered these identity levels rather than that being our goal. We set out to find this gap and we didn't exactly find a gap. We found um, people with overlapping identities that are certainly shifting as the generations move along. But um, I, as, as you see in the book, everyone's first identity is Druze, even if they're completely unreligious. Uh, and the second identity is often Israeli. There were differences between the two generations in that. But people are Druze, they're Israeli, and they're Arab, because that is their native language. And language is a central part of our, our identity. So, um, so we didn't exactly set out to look at these levels, but uh, it's kind of what we found. Now, the Druze, uh, many of our listeners may not have ever heard of the Druze. Uh, they are one of the many ethnic and religious min minorities in Israel. Uh, and as you say, they are Arabs, uh, but not Muslims. Their religion yes. is Druze. How large a group are they? I'm sorry, how what? How large? How, what, what are their numbers ah, in Israel? Okay, so there, there are Druze all over the world. Um, the largest communities are in the Middle East, obviously. Um, I'm trying to put my finger on the latest numbers for Israel. I don't have them in front of my actual fingers. But um, it, it's, a, it's a few. Wait a second. Okay, today there are approximately 143,000 Druze living in Israel. 
which is 1.6% of Israel's total population. That's as of 2019. There are Mm -hmm. also Druze communities in Syria, Lebanon, and Jordan, as well as smaller communities in places as far flung as as Australia, Canada, um, various European countries, and even Latin America. So this is not a huge group of people by any means, which makes it even more remarkable that they, despite changing times and modernization, they continue to be Druze. These are not people who are um, converting away from being Druze or intermarrying. Um, This is a tightly knit community, which is fascinating because really up until now, up until the last couple of generations, it's been their religion that has held them together. And the religion is going, let's say, underground. Fewer and fewer people actually call themselves religious, as you can see in the book, because being religious, especially for women, means following certain rules that are harder and harder to follow in the modern world. So um, the fact that people remain Druze and Druze communities remain so strong is is rather remarkable. And I don't know if there's anything else like it uh, in in history. (laughs) So... Well, tell us a little bit about their beliefs and practices. Okay. So as you said, the Druze are not Muslim. They split off from Islam more than a thousand years ago, and their religion is secret. No one can know other than religious Druze what exactly is at the heart of the Druze religion. Um, In Judaism, we talk about a fence around the Torah. Well, there's a fence around the the core beliefs of the Druze as well in terms of um, their their dress, their absolute loyalty to their family and their community, that that, um, even if they're not religious, it sort of holds holds the religious safe inside. So there are core beliefs that we can talk about. One of these is uh, is reincarnation, which is absolutely central to their identity, and which is also a partial explanation for why they manage to stay a, a community. Uh, a Druze soul is reincarnated as another Druze soul when a person dies. It doesn't become something else, a Christian or or anything else. And also, no one can convert into being a Druze. It's a closed community of souls that continues from generation to generation. And even those who are not religious hold this core belief absolutely in their hearts. So that's part of the reason. Um, Another another thing that that affects their, I don't know if this is their religion, but um, that affects their their unity as a community is the fact that they, they do not have and have never had a home country. So they've always been beleaguered and besieged. And so part of their, and this is kind of a religious belief, part of their core beliefs is that they must protect one another, the protection of the of the brotherhood, they call it, uh, against all, all of these opposing forces around them. Um, you can't really say what their religion is. They, they, they revere family and community. They believe absolutely in reincarnation. But the core beliefs of the religion are, are not revealed unless uh, one is actually a, a religious Druze, and there are fewer and fewer. There are fewer and fewer religious Druze or fewer and fewer Druze? No, fewer and fewer religious Druze, which which is all the more remarkable that the Druze marry the Druze. They continue living in their communities. They continue doing the the fence of values 
around their religion, like, um, you know, taking care of their parents and, um, and, and staying loyal to their communities. That, that is, is um, absolutely what's holding them together. Um, the question, one of the questions we, we, we ask at the end of our book is, how long can that go on? How long can, uh, when people are not keeping the dress code, for instance, especially women, um, how long will the community be able to sustain itself? And, and when there are fewer and fewer people who actually know the core beliefs and practice them, um, how, how long will it, will it last? Can it last? Will the values be enough? That, that's, I think, the big question with which we end that book. Does the community allow people to marry out? No, I, I absolutely you. not. There's no uh-huh. marrying out. There's no marrying in. in There's right. no sex before marriage. Th- these are sacrosanct values, and they protect the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was really intrigued by the integration of the identity variables. Uh, it, people define themselves as Druze Israeli, sometimes mm-hmm. Israeli Druze, and uh, um, and their language is Arabic Hebrew or Hebrew Arabic, yeah, depending. Yeah. And and it just seems so seamless for them. Whereas for for example, the Israeli Arab Muslims seem to have a much harder time integrating all the the uh, aspects of their yeah. identity. Now now, why do you think that is? Okay. Well, certainly a, a big part of that, probably the major part of that, is that um, the Druze serve in the army. The Druze, because they have no country, are loyal to whatever country they live in. They're loyal to their homeland. The Syrian Druze are loyal to Syria. The Israeli Druze are absolutely loyal to Israel. Sometimes they even call, Randa calls herself a Zionist. Um, and and right. because they serve in the army and, and are integrated in that way, and because they are... are um, very, very patriotic. Um, I, I think that's that's at least part of the explanation. Mm-hmm. And and you think that happened because they didn't have a homeland ever in the thousand years since they yeah. split from Islam. Uh-huh. Yeah, because because they they um, they they used to be Muslims, right? And then they broke right. away from Islam because of their own beliefs and their own. I mean, that's a, a whole other story, which I wish Randa was here to tell it. Um, but, but because of that, because wherever they go, they're a, a minority and um, sometimes persecuted, um, part of the way they protect themselves is to be very, very patriotic and loyal to the country they live in. And um, most, most Israeli Druze, certainly not all, um, really do feel themselves strongly Israeli. Yes, and, and Israeli Jews feel that way about the Druze also. Absolutely. Uh, br- brothers in arms and, and um, brothers in, in citizenship. There's no question. Right. Now, uh, you very interestingly quote some of your subjects, and, uh, and that really warms up the book. Um, and, and one of those subjects, Sada, uh, she said, this is a quote, our faith comforts us us with lenient thoughts about death. Death yeah. is a matter of fate. Yes. Uh, that is the kind of faith that exists only with us. 
Can you explain what she means about yes. Len- yes. lenient thoughts? Yeah, okay. Yes. She, she, she's, this refers to reincarnation. Um, uh-huh. I, I think all of us in every faith, you know, we, we wonder, we may have beliefs about what happens after death, but we're not sure. And we, you know, we, we, we have to wait and see. The Druze absolutely believe that their soul will be reincarnated. It, it is not any kind of a question. And, and this is very comforting. We heard this uh, from, from a few people, including young people who did not claim to be in any way religious. But they all said, my faith comforts me and I'm, I'm not afraid of death because I know that my soul will go to another Drew's body um, when I die. That's remarkable comfort. Yeah. Uh, Yes, you you describe most of the Drew's as secular. And nevertheless, the subjects that you spoke to often talk about their obligation to keep the secrets of the religion, Mm -hmm. although those who are secular don't know the religion's secrets, do they? Yeah, no, that's true. That, that's a little bit of a, um, that's interesting. It's a little bit of a, um, uh, in a stira, in Hebrew, sorry, a yeah. contradiction that, um, yes. th- so that they don't know explain. the secrets, but they're determined to keep them. And the way they, the way they protect them, I, I think maybe, maybe keep isn't even the right word. Protect is better. And the way they protect yeah. is by holding to the values, which is, um, only, only marrying Druze. Um, not having sex before marriage, being extremely loyal to the community and to the extended family. This is that that fence around the secrets. So even if they don't know the secrets, they're protecting them by staying Druze and protecting their Druze community. And that's a powerful enough um, force for people who say they're not religious to, uh, after all, the Druze go out into the world. They go yeah. to university. They they even go to high school outside of the community, some of them. Um, and they presumably fall in love. And nevertheless, they will stick to protecting their community and their religion, which they don't practice. Look, so far, it's a powerful enough yeah. force and um, obviously, we hope that it will remain so. Um, it, it, it's fairly early days in terms of modernization. There's only a couple of generations, and I'd like to say something about girls. There's only a couple of generations of young women who are going out to university. And this automatically, or almost automatically, has them not being allowed to be religious because um, the, you can't have a driving license to be a Druze woman. If, if you do, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're outside the religion. You can't mix with, um, you can't be in mixed company, mixed non-Druze company. You can only, theoretically, you're only supposed to leave the, the, the town in the company of a first degree male relative, a father, a brother, or a husband. So living in the modern world and, and more and more people have to, they can't make a living from agriculture anymore. People have to work. And that doesn't right. mean that there aren't families where the woman does stay home. And there are cottage industries that women do in the towns. And the husband goes out and um, he's less restricted in terms of his behavior. But, but these changes are real and they're, they're growing as the world moves ever forward. So um, this is the big question. How many more generations until... There is more intermarriage. I'm not saying there's no intermarriage. Probably it happens, but it is it is absolutely forbidden, and it's a it, it's a huge step to do that and, and to leave your community behind. As these things inevitably begin to happen more and more, um, 
who knows what will happen? Who knows? Right. You, you can't predict it. No. Nope. Um, let's look, while, while we're on the religion topic, let's look for a moment uh, at the issue of religious fundamentalism. Now, all over the world, one inappropriate, one problematic response to the threat of modernization has been religious fundamentalism. Uh, is that found in the Druze community? No, no, there's absolutely not. There are certainly people who are um, who are deeply religious and who follow all the rules, but I don't think that's called fundamentalism. No. Well, that's that's surprising in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your research focused on uh, the differences or agreements between uh, the older and younger generations, and you found a remarkable uh, level of agreement in values. Yes. Uh, how do you explain that? What uh, To what do you attribute that? Well, I, I think it's explained by the history of the Druze, by the fact that they've been a a closed community, not only through their belief in reincarnation, a, gl- a closed community of souls, but also because they don't have a homeland, um, they, they have um, always been been had to had to stick together and support each other to hold off the surrounding forces. And um, perhaps right now the surrounding forces are not people who want to kill them, but people who want to. Um, you know, make them leave behind their faith and become part of the bigger world. So um, their history has protected them. And uh, again, the question is, um, for how long? About a fifth of the older respondents uh, say they are religious. That's 20% even of the elders. Um, And others define themselves as guardians of traditions and values. Uh, yes. Tell tell us about the difference between those two phrases. Okay, so, so someone who actually is religious is someone who follows all the rules and thus is allowed to to do the deep secret learning in the hilwa in the house of worship. He is allowed. He or she is allowed to open the the holy books and see what's written inside. Um, I'd like to say that Randa, her mother, was religious. And Randa inherited from her mother the holy books, which to this day sit on Randa's shelf. She touches them sometimes, and she has never opened them because Randa is not religious. She's a woman of, she's an academic world, a woman of the academic world. She goes to conferences. She, she mingles with people at, you know, um, at Van Leer and at, at the Ministry of Education. But she reveres right. her religion, even though she doesn't know what's inside it. So, um, these behaviors seem to be very strong and, and this guarding of whatever the secrets might be by more and more people who can't go into the secrets. Um, it, it seems to be incredibly strong. It's really remarkable that curiosity didn't, uh, yeah, <laughs> didn't yeah. overcome the, yeah. Wow. Yes. Well, they're quite distinctive and, um, it, and what what would you say are the implications of what you found in the Druze uh, for the impact of modern or postmodern reality on other traditional societies yes. elsewhere? This is an important question because the Druze are a very specific and special group of people, but many people all over the world, many so, so-called traditional cultures, 
are ha- having the inevitable meeting with modernity, and um, they're all facing parallel issues. How how far out can I go? How much can I become part of this world with with technology and dress and um, and, and driving and meeting all kinds of people and still retain something of who who I was or or, or who my who my ancestors were. Many tradition, if not all, traditional communities are dealing with these same issues. Yeah, it's uh, and apparently not quite as successfully as the Druze do. Yeah, well, uh, I guess there are varying varying degrees. Um, one of the one of the famous theories uh, about this this whole area says that change is path dependent. I really like that phrase, path dependent. And mm-hmm. research is showing across the world that traditional cultures which begin to go out and have to form a new path for themselves that makes sense in the modern world don't leave their own path completely. They forge a new path which retains many of the values and much of the behaviors so that they they, they kind of learn how to still be themselves in the modern world. Right. That's the challenge. And it's it's good that uh, groups are learning how to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I want to thank you for sharing your work in this distinctive and very likable uh, community. But before I let you go, let's take an extra moment to talk about your forthcoming book. Or is it out yet? Or it's, it's out. about? I have it in front of me. Yeah, I have it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, insider, outsider research in qualitative inquiry. Yes. Now, uh, I'm guessing that this book emerged from your experience in working on the Drew's book. Yeah. But it, maybe it, it I'm wrong. It absolutely did. Yeah. And that's why I said that these two books are kind of companion books. And what we do in the second book, Insider, Outsider Research in Qualitative Inquiry, is we try to um, derive from our own experience of this large study methodological implications for the whole business of uh, of a we, and we call it a research partnership where one person is an insider to the culture being studied and the other person is an outsider not just a there's a lot of um insider outsider research where where, where a group is put together you know because you want somebody on the inside and you want somebody with the academic knowledge we call ourselves partners because we're deeply connected, Randa and I, and we've been working together for 20 years, and, and we think it's a special kind of a relationship with implications for others who want to study culture. Um, culture is, is, um, is amazingly complex, and you can see things from the inside that you cannot see from the outside, and vice versa. And one right. of the, the fascinating things we, we, we detail in this book through examples of our various studies is that um, Randa understands things implicitly that I, I would never in, in the world be able to understand. And also sometimes she's blind to those things because she's too close to them. And, and I sometimes have a, an outsider view that allows me to ask questions that, um, that she wouldn't think to ask because things are so obvious. And the combination of these two kinds of knowledge and these two kinds of viewpoint together with deep discussions as we do our studies, has, uh, I, I think, enabled us to, to come to rich understanding of the Druze culture, which neither an insider alone nor an outsider alone, I think, could have, could have come to. Well, that's really very wise. I, I, I think that, that clearly uh, corresponds to common sense, that someone who is 
embedded in a group uh, is both more able to uh, deeply feel what's going on, but maybe can overlook what's going on compared to the outside view. So it's it's really a brilliant uh, combination, and it, it sounds like it's been a very productive and enjoyable partnership. Yes, and it continues to be, continues to be. That's great. Well, I wish you a lot of luck with both books, and thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Renee. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And thanks to our researcher, Bela Pasikov. Bye-bye. <laughs>